go. And verse six, he says, he can, this is talking about God. God continues to pour out more and more grace upon us. For it says, God resists when you are proud, but continually pours out his grace when you are humble. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for James. Oh man, he can come at us hard, but we know that he loves you. And, and more than anything, he wants to give you praise. And he wants to glorify you and honor you. And so as we listen to um, your voice uh, through your word this morning, God, speak to, speak to our spirits this morning. We want to hear from you. We want to walk away from here different this morning as a result of being here with you and hearing your word. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Awesome. Yeah, I, I love it. I love the woos. Thank you. <laughs> I, I love it. All right. So there were enough years between my um, two brothers that, and me that we were never really fought. Um, Todd is 10 years older than me, and my brother Brian is eight years older than me. And so, as you can imagine, you know, I mean, he was in high school, I was a little kid. There just wasn't a lot of, you know, bickering going on. But I have watched my own kids grow up over the years. And I have seven kids, for those of you that don't know. Um, and boy, it just seems like there can be a proclivity to class. <laughs> Anybody experience that with kids? Um, you know, we'll, we'll be on a long trip somewhere, and in the back seat, um, one of my girls, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to the girls this morning because I only have my boys in the room. So we'll talk about the girls this morning, okay, guys? <laughs> um, I've watched, you know, I've watched it, and so you are on a long trip somewhere, and in the back seat, one of my girls is poking the other one. Just kind of imagine this scenario. Just, just for the sake of starting something, right? They're like, they're like, they want to start something. And, and the younger sister would look at her and say, stop! And then they'd, you know, they'd, they'd look at me as I'm driving you know, in the mirror and, and then they'd get poked again. And what happens is that sweet little girl, you know, a noise comes out of her, how dare you, you know? <laughs> and throws a fist up in a threatening fashion, you know, like what in the world is going on? And so you know what happens, they get poked again and she pushes her sibling back and they get poked again and she turns around and the older sister is like, don't you do it. You can't tell me what to do, you know. You can imagine the conversation. Before long, there's a full-out gang war happening in the back seat of my minivan. Yeah? Anybody? Okay. So siblings, it seems, have this gift to get on each other's nerves. And I have heard stories about what my girls have done to my, their younger siblings that I never knew about until years later. Like, you tied your sister up in the basement? I mean, that's a little crazy. You guys are, you guys are cruel. You know? <laughs> and then there's, there's also the, the psychological warfare, right? Fighting without getting physical. But, but, you know, but boy, there are words that are thrown around. And despite their mom's direct orders and threats, there would be this all-out clash of the clans that would happen. And they would, you know, make up eventually. And, you know, now as adults, they get along, sort of, <laughs> right? But why do I mention this? Because it's not just biological siblings that fight. Christian brothers and sisters fight. Uh-oh, <laughs> here we go. And some of us know that. So, well, some of us are like, what? What are you talking about, right? <laughs> just take it by faith. Sometimes this has happened, right? And, and, and throughout the centuries, it's occurred. So look in the New Testament. In the New Testament, you saw the church almost ripped apart 
along ethnic lines and along cultural lines between the Jews and the Gentiles and the leaders of the church. And God was constantly pulling them back together. And, and God has made us to be one family, right? And so you see the, you see the church of Corinth. Paul wrote two letters to them, mostly telling them to what? Love one another. Over and over, love one another, love one another, love one another. That's what we get. That's where we get 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. You know, as you read into church history, though, they couldn't figure it out, and they split. The church of Corinth split. And, and so you see that uh, later in the church, the entire Christian church, they split east and west. And, and if you look at the history of the church, the dirt of Europe is soaked with the blood of professing Christians who were murdered by other professing Christians. And America, oh boy. There's a book called The History of the Church in America and in Canada. The Canada chapters are very boring because whenever they disagree, they're like, hey, and they just kind of make up. <laughs> they work it out. The American chapters, we go to war against each other. I, had a, I have a friend, Bishop Troy. He, he, heard, he heard about my conversation, you know, with uh, Kimberly, and, and um, that, that's the denomination that Kimberly comes from. And he said, well, let me pass to you, friend. And he told me to watch um, the history of the black church in America. And I cried through four hours. I mean, the, the history of the church in America. We go to war against each other. And it, and it makes for you know, far more entertaining reading when we're reading the American chapters, but it, it's a really sad reality. And it's so sad that the 17th century Jewish philosopher by the name of Spinoza, he said this about believers. This is what he said about followers of Jesus. He said, I have often wondered that persons who make a boast of professing the Christian religion, namely love, joy, peace, temperance, and charity to all men, should quarrel with such rancorous animosity and display daily towards one another such bitter hatred that this rather than the virtues that they claim is the readiest criterion of their faith. He says, when I look around, what I'm seeing is you will know Christians because they're fighting with each other. Unless we say something for centuries of old, it still rings true for today. One of the holy sites in Christianity is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre um, in Jerusalem. It's the traditional site where Jesus rose from the grave. Um, and it's, I don't know, I've, I've, I've been there. And it's about as religious feeling as, it, as a place you can get. I mean, and, um, and, and I mean that in a negative sense. <laughs> I mean that in, oh, you can just feel that. It's, 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 it's like a, a trapping almost, like a these religious lines that men have made up and it's just so non, it doesn't feel like Jesus. And, but it's, it's this holy site. And if you go there, there are different Christian factions that come to worship and there are lines on the floor that you are not meant to cross. 
And if you cross them, I mean, this is, this is crazy. Just a few years ago in the news, there was high media coverage because two groups of monks were coming into worship and one of the groups of monks kind of bumped into the other group and it became a full-on war. You can watch the video where a monk comes flying in with a Superman punch. I mean, <laughs> and it wasn't even a very good one. Apparently, they're not training monks these days in hand-to-hand combat, you know, like they used to. <laughs> but there was a lot of, of you know, slapping and, and hair pulling. I mean, a really lovely display of love for the world to see, right? And you look at that and you're like, wow, this is what the world sees as us? And that's really embarrassing, And it happens in church circles. It happens in cities like this. It happens when people come to me and um, I ask, you know, where they go to to service on the weekends. And some of them, they feel like they have to whisper the name of their church, like they're embarrassed to tell me, like, I'm sorry, I actually go to a different church than yours. It's almost as if I'm supposed to respond, how dare you? (laughs) It's almost like we think that churches are supposed to war against each other that there is a sense of competition and maybe you felt that somebody tells you, you know, I, you know, I go to this church and you're like, well, oh, yeah, that's a great church if you like unauthentic worship. <laughs> I'll, I'll pray for you, right? It's fascinating how we can fight against each other. It happens all the time and we quarrel and we, and we, we go to war, that there is this, this, this sense of just animosity. And let, let me tell you something, this chapter is gonna be about why we fight. James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Did you notice that he just assumes that we have them? (laughs) That we are going to fight each other. And so we're gonna talk about why. And what I love about James is that he's already kind of been hitting the branches of this and other chapters, why we talk the way we talk and how we treat people different and, and socio, socioeconomic uh, uh, status. But, but those are the branches. And this morning, he's going to get to the trunk. You know, here's your real issue. And then he's going to get to the roots. He goes even deeper. Here's your deeper issue. And then he's going to have the remedy of how to fix it. So that's where he's going and that's where we're going this morning. Let me show you your issue and then let me get it underneath and show you the roots of your issue and then let me show you the remedy to those issues, okay? Because we fight and we do it today and it's not meant to be this way. James asks the question, verse one, here's your problem. What causes these fights and what causes, what causes these quarrels among you, right? And he says, what's the cause? Think about it for a second. When you disagree, and when there's animosity, and when there's gossip, and there's bickering, and there's factions, how does that happen? What causes it? And what's interesting is you almost get the assumption that James is asking us this question. We're going to start naming people. Well, it's Bob over there, you know, because he, he can't, he never shuts his trap. <laughs> or it's because, you know, Susan's always late, or because Gina over there, she's a moron. No, but he's like, no, what causes fights? He's like, let me tell you, it is not this that your passions, is it not this, sorry, that your passions are at war within you? Within you. It's interesting. He says, it's not the issue around you. It's an issue in you. (laughs) Ah, James, we love you. And you know, in the Greek, there are two different yous. There's, there's a singular you and there's a plural you. So in other words, the Greek language, uh, Mary has a y'all. <laughs> and so that first one is a y'all. And he says, what causes the fights among y'all? And then he says, 
It's the desire in you. He's highlighting the real issue. What brings the fire to your fights? What brings all the emotional drama into that war with your roommate? (laughs) What brings all those fights in your office that bring so much tension that you can cut it with a knife? What brings the drama that divides churches? This happens all the time in our country, by the way. You know, what brings all the drama? He says, it's not an external issue. It's an internal issue. It's it's not interpersonal. It's personal. It's the desires in you. And he uses the word hedone, which is where we get our word hedonism. I want what I want. And if I can't get what I think is good for me, I'm mad. And that's when he goes on to say, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight. And he formulates an overlap and an intersection here. And he says, what causes the fights and the quarrels? It's the passions within you. You desire and you covet, so you quarrel and you fight. He's telling you that, that uh, these fights and these quarrels are because of your desires. If you look at what's fueling the flame, it's not the externals, it's inside of you. And, and an easy test to think, of, think about it this way. Just think about some emotional drama that you've had while driving, okay? We're just gonna let it all out on the floor this morning. And you know, I mean, this is South Dakota. Um, so so we're, this is, we're starting at a low level playing field right here. Some of you, but you've been driving to work after a full nights of rest, you've had plenty of sleep, healthy breakfast, and someone cuts you off. What do you do at that moment? You're like, huh, that's silly. He must be new here. You know, and just let him go, right? If, if you're in an ideal state, you just let him go. But maybe if you only had four hours of sleep and you're late and you're hungry and you're going to a meeting that you really don't want to go to and then that guy cuts you off, what happens? <laughs> What's the matter with you, you waste of human space? <laughs> I'm going to give you the one-way sign. And am I right? You know, some of you are going to light it up. And, and at least that's what I hear. You know, you guys confess these things to me. I wouldn't know anything about it. But um, <laughs> what's the difference between those two responses? The externals haven't changed. Same guy, getting cut off, totally different levels of emotional energy invested in it. Why? It's because of you. All that drama is coming out of you, right? You desire, you covet, I want what I want. When I want it, if I can't get it, I'm going to freak out. You hear stories from people who wait tables. I heard one uh, worker at a Mexican food restaurant talking about how mean people were until he gave them chips. (laughs) And then they suddenly got nicer. It's like, you're, oh, you little baby. You were like just whining, but as soon as I gave you the chips, you chill out. (laughs) And you and I are that way. We want what we want when we want it. And if we can't get it, we pitch a fit, right? And James says, that's the problem. Your issue is not the issue, it's how you respond. (laughs) That's what your mom used to say when you and your siblings were fighting and yelling, right? Yeah, she walks into the room and would say, why are you guys yelling? And you'd try to start saying something. She said, I don't care, get along. (laughs) What was she saying? I don't care about the externals. I want you to treat each other the way you treat each other to be different. (laughs) Something's going on inside of you. And James is going to go, there's, there's no issue that necessitates a war in the Christian family. There's no issue that necess, necess, necessitates a war between us. But we'll do it sometimes. 
I, I remember hearing a pastor share about a famous incident that happened at a seminary. He wasn't there, but he heard about it. And um, there was a theology class where they were discussing the differences between Calvinism and Ar- Armin, how do you say Arminianism? Arminianism? I can't even say it. And so Arminianism, Arminianism, <laughs> Arminianism <laughs> is a form of the study of Jesus that focuses more on human choice. And Calvinism emphasizes more of God's sovereign control over things. And they were discussing these theological positions and that discussion became an argument, Okay. And at the end of that argument, in this class, in this seminary, one guy hit another guy. And that just broke out into a brawl in the middle of the classroom, which became a source, of course, of conversation at the seminary, like, what do you do now? And the joke around the seminary, well, well, you have to punish the Arminian because he had a free choice to hit the guy, right? But you can't punish the Calvinist because he had to hit him. This is just a little theological humor for you there. Some of you, it's, it's okay. But it broke out. <laughs> it broke out into a full-on fist fight. So, but do you know what? I love this story. Maybe you've heard it before. When Charles Simeon, he's a founder, uh, no, he's a famous Calvinist preacher. When he met John Wesley, one of the greatest proponents of the Arminian theology, he said, sir, I hear you're Arminian and I'm a Calvinist. Yet, before I draw my dagger, let me ask a few questions. And they began to talk about the person of Jesus and the sufficiency of grace and his death and his resurrection. And he said, at your consent, brother, let me put my dagger away and let us first unite on the things that we agree on. Woo! And you see that these men who had some real differences worthy of discussion could still discuss it in a civil way. Maturity can lead to civility. But for many of us, emotionally, we're more like babies. I desire, I covet, I want, and if I don't get my way, I'm gonna pitch a fit on Facebook. The problem is not out there, the problem is in here. So if you're in a fight with your roommate, (laughs) you may have some real issues. Like if they're not paying rent, that's an issue, but it doesn't necessitate a war. We can always speak to one another with civility. So if there are fights, if there are quarrels, if if it's going crazy, there's something going on in you. There's a selfishness in you is what James will say. That's what he's talking about earlier. If we go back to chapter three, just for a second, when he says, who is wise and understanding among you? He's like, don't just tell me that. This is what he says. He says, by your good conduct, show your works in the meekness of wisdom. He said, do you know who really wise people are? People who do beautiful things from a humble heart. And then he goes on to say that the works of wisdom are peaceable. And he's just drawing from the Old Testament. When when God created the world, he created the world, it says, with wisdom. It says, by wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. The, The planks of the earth were laid by wisdom. Proverbs says of wisdom, all of her paths, all of her ways are peace. That word peace doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. Some of you know this, but it's the presence of flourishing. Come on, somebody. You know, you know someone's wise when they're humble. And they're doing works that promote peace. That when they're using their gifts to help all of us flourish. And then he says, but if you're jealous or if you're ambitious... You're something, but you're not wise. 
He says, do not boast and be false to the truth. Because watch, what's the fruit of jealousy and ambition? He says, disorder in every vile practice. God came into chaos and he brought what? Order. Not an order that stifles, but an order that releases us to peace. But if you're jealous and ambitious, it says here, you create disorder. You disarray. And James says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So if you're driven by your jealousy, I want my promotion. You know, if you're driven by your ambition, I, I want me at the front of the line. He says that you are a divider and not a uniter. Oh boy, you are a terror down and you are not a builder up. You are going in the opposite direction of God. The problem is not external, it's personal, it's you. Your selfish ambition will rip a community apart. And I know some of us here hear that and you're like, wait, Sean, ambition is good. America is built on ambition. I'm here because I'm smarter and I'm better than all those goons, uh, you know, in high school, you know, <laughs> right? So is, is ambition good? Not the kind of that James is talking about, no, because take it, take it out of your line of work for just a minute. Like whom, whom do you love watching work? Let's, let's um, take it into music. Do you want to, to listen to the person who is creating beautiful music because they love music, they love melody, they love the tension and the resolve, they love making something beautiful and um, sharing it with others so that you can enjoy the beauty of our world? Or do you want someone who really doesn't care about that, they're just trying to create a hooky song so that they can, they can become famous and rich? You know, who, who do you want to cheer for? The person who's using their gifts to serve us or the person who's trying to use us to build their own ambition? Uh, what about acting? You know, do you like someone who loves the craft of acting and really wants to embody a character to tell a good story? Or do you want somebody who's just using a show to get famous, right? Who's, who's, who's easy to cheer for? The, the person who's writing a policy uh, in our city because they believe that that policy can really create a common good for all of us? Or the person who really doesn't care about the policy, they, just, they, just, they support just as long as it gives them the control of power in the government. Selfish ambition is ugly and you don't need it to be successful. Successful people take the gifts that God gives them and uses them, what does it say? With humility and wisdom to create peace so that we all flourish. But where you see jealousy and ambition, me first, it gets ugly and it's coming from inside of you. And James says, hey man, that does not have any place, particularly in the church. He's saying that selfish ambition in the church is going the opposite way of God and God is building something and, and you're just doing something else. And so that word diablos there is to judge through or to cut through things. You're a divider. So let me just tell you, if you're here and you want to destroy a church, let me give you some advice. <laughs> if that's your goal, if you want to destroy Destiny Foursquare Church, let me tell you how to do it. <laughs> so here's, here's what it says. What, what you want to do is you want to first get some selfish ambition in a pan. You get that going, right? And, and you're like, how do I, con how do I take control? How do I, how do I get power? And you just want to put that on a low simmer. We have any cooks in the room? You just, you just get that going, let it percolate in there. How do I get more glory for myself? I, I want them to know and fear my name, right? And, and you want that kind of stuff. And then what you want to do is you want to add some jealousy. 
Just sprinkle that in and start looking around and seeing who has influence that you don't, who gets the attention that you don't, who gets the glory and the praise that you don't. And, th and then what you wanna do is start adding in some resentment, right? Not just wish you had that thing from that person, but really resent the giftings that they have, really resent the influence that they have, really resent their existence as a human being. Let, all con let it all just kind of congeal into resentment, and then you want to let that start bubbling over, okay? And it usually doesn't bubble over with the throwing of a fist. Here's what happens. Usually, it, it starts a little bit more passive than that. It's like a low boil of an eye roll. Some of you are really good at that eye roll. When the, it's like when that person speaks, you're like, oh. Right? Stuff like that. Anytime they talk to you, oh. And, and then over time, when you're passive aggressive enough, you want to you keep an eye out for other people who might want to join you in that eye roll, right? And what you want to do is when you eye roll, you look for the other people who eye roll, and you'd be like, I know, right? There she goes again. Oh. And what you really want is just to kind of create a secret alliance with people that will tear other people apart. And, 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 and then what you do is you begin to whisper about how come that person gets to lead and how come that person gets to speak and what is it that somebody's got to do to get some control around here? And you want to create a, a secret little alliance and then you want other people to join in. Well, that person is not authentic and that guy's fake and I don't think these guys are really feeding me spiritually. <laughs> and you really want to let that bubble up and then what you want to do is you want to get an us in contradiction to them. And you really want to stir in discontent and you want to assume bad motives around them. And then congratulations, you're doing a great job of ripping apart the church. And let me tell you something, I've seen that a lot. I, I, I worked for the district and have been in the church world now since the year 2000, and, and most churches die in America that way. Most don't die from any external pressure, like we were just worshiping God, and then, you know, someone charged the gates. That's not how it happens. It happens when they're torn apart from within. That's what James is talking about here. And what tears us apart? It starts inside of you. It's a selfish ambition about me. Please me, right? Rather than to serve you, you're a person that tears down. This is God's kingdom, not a human being's kingdom. And if you're trying to use his kingdom to build yours, that's not a good thing. Woo. And so James will go on and say, you do not have because you do not ask. Some of you are, are, are not advancing much because you haven't even gone to, to supplication, to prayer. You, you don't pray. Or if you do, is what he says, it's just about manipulation. How do I get ahead? How do I get power? How do I get authority? How do I get the seed of influence? And God doesn't want to bless that. <laughs> he, he doesn't love shameless self-promotion. And James says, when you do ask, you're asking wrongly. You're, you're trying to marshal heavenly resources for earthly purposes. Like, God, please redeploy your resources from building your kingdom to mine. How can he sign off on that? It's interesting. I read a quote. I said, if all your prayers were answered, would it change the whole world or just yours? Mm. That's what James is talking about here. What's going on in your heart? He's, he's trying to open it up. 
And the, and the problem is not out there. The problem is in here. It's personal. And then what's interesting, you think James would move on from that and say, so here's the deal. Love one another. Be nice to each other. You know he's not going to do that. But, you know, it kind of feels like it could go that direction. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it, you know. <laughs> Things like that. Stuff that fits on coffee mugs. You know, you, you think he would just go to some kind of moral adjustment, but he doesn't do that. So he's identified the problem. You have a selfish ambition in you, but then he goes even deeper and he says, it, 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 your problems are not just personal, your problem is theological. And I'll explain that. Your problem is, is not that your roommate won't pay rent. Your problem is not that the person who got the promotion is not as, you know, not as smart as you. Your problem is not that your political party isn't winning. Your, your problem isn't the person here who's not giving you authority that you want in the church. Your problem is with God. That's what he's saying. So th this is what he says. This is where he just, okay, ready? You got your seatbelts on? He says, you adulterous people. Why does James call us that? Why do you think he says that? Because all through the Old Testament, God calls himself a husband, right? Isaiah 54 says, your maker is your husband. Jeremiah 3 says, like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you have been unfaithful to me. And James says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So he's not saying you shouldn't have non-believer friends. You absolutely should. The Bible's clear on that. But he's talking about a mentality and a system. If you have a worldly mentality, which is I'm going to build my kingdom for my power and for my glory, he says that's not where we're going. We're building his kingdom you know, for, for his glory and his power. So if you're in his kingdom trying to build your kingdom, that's weird. Do you see that? That's weird. That's like being married to him and trying to date somebody else. <laughs> right? We don't like that. We tend to frown on that, right? So that when you say, hey, if you're married to me, then you don't date them. That's, that's not an inappropriate request. And, and so he's saying, man, for you to say, I worship you, God, glory to you only, but then you're dating popularity on the side that I'm singing praises to God on Sunday, but on Monday through Friday, I'm just trying to boost my Instagram followers. You know, if you're worshiping God, but slide into the DMs of, of, of self-promotion, God says, I don't like that. I, I don't want you to do that. Don't say that you're all mine, but then try to build your kingdom. That's going in the opposite direction. That's why he says, verse five, do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously? Over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, he is jealous for you. And it's interesting. Let me just clarify. Some people hear that and they're like, man, I don't like the thought of a jealous God. Let me clarify. It was interesting. Oprah um, said as much in an interview years ago where she was talking about why she quit going to church. She said, I listened to a sermon where the preacher said, God is jealous. And she said, when I heard that, I thought, that kind of God has to be so small. You, you, ha you have such a petty God if he's jealous for, of you. And I walked away. And what's tragic to me about that is it, it's, it's a misunderstanding of this text. It's not talking about a petty and insecure God. Like he's stalking you at night, driving around to see, you know, where you're going and who you're hanging out with. <laughs> That's not him. That's not what's happening here. He's, he's jealous in a healthy way. 
And case in point, it's not wrong, tell me if you agree with this, for a wife who's covenanted with a husband to ask that man not to date other women. That's not wrong. This would be an appropriate jealousy. He's my husband, so he can't date you. He belongs to me. Say my name. <laughs> That's not wrong, right? You, you need to know me and not them. And it's the same with the man. It's appropriate and healthy for him to say, hey, if this is my wife, I don't want her dating somebody else. Am I right? That's an appropriate level of jealousy. Now, there is an unhealthy jealousy, and that's not what he's promoting here. God is not an unhealthy, manipulative person. What James is saying here is that if you belong to God, and he doesn't want you chasing the building of your kingdom while he's building his, he wants you to be a part of what he's doing. He wants you to be a part of what he has for your life. And that's what James is saying here. And adultery is not a great thing in anybody's world. It's meant to be something that we move away from. Now, here's what's fascinating about that. You know, so far, this message hasn't been, you know, like super fun. You're like, wow, welcome to, de to destiny, you adulterous people. <laughs> True to character, you know, James has been pushing us. Your problem is that, you know, you want to advance you and you want to advance yourself in contradiction to God. And your problem is personal and theological that I want to control my life. I want to be king. I want to be power. I want to be in power. I want to be in charge. So that's a dangerous mentality. And he says, God can't bless that. Now, here's the thing. He's pushing us to confront that. And what James wants us to do is admit that that's our problem. But a lot of us don't want to do that. Why don't we want to do that? Because in our culture today, to confess, we're worried, right? If I say that, man, I'm all about myself and I'm, I've been seeking, you know, my glory and I've been about advancing myself and, and we're, we just kind of let this all in the fly. I've been rude to my coworkers. I've been rude to my roommates. I've been jealous and I've been gossipy in this church all because I'm trying to advance myself. What happens? We feel like if we admit that in a culture like we have today, if we admit weakness, we're afraid that we'll get eaten alive. If you say, I am that way, people will say, I knew it, right? You make me sick, you dirty, dirty, selfish, weak person. And, and then what comes next? Banishment, get out of our sight. You're canceled, you're removed. You must be out of my view, you disgust me. That confession is gonna lead to destruction. That's what's in our head. If I confess that I'm a mess, uh, I'm gonna get buried in this world, so I gotta act like I got it all together. How many of you have tried to do that before? I'm gonna act like I've got it all together. That may be how we feel, but that's not the way the gospel works. And what I love about this, as you, as you might think James is gonna come harder, because that's kind of who he is. He says, you adulterous people, you're violating your very commitment with God, and you expect to feel all this shame, but that's not what comes next. I love in verse six, he says, but he gives more grace. <laughs> He's more gracious than you are selfish. He's more loving than you are insecure. And so what James is saying is I wanna push you to confront. Yeah, I've been a selfish person. I've been defiant, you know, theologically. Uh, because confession, here's the thing. It doesn't lead to destruction. Confession leads to redemption. The minute we admit we're weak, what happens? God comes rushing in. That's what he says. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
God wants you to come clean, not to destroy you, but to redeem you. Come on, somebody. As soon as we say, I've been going the wrong direction, he loves to grab you and move you in the right direction. And so not just, not just move you in the right direction, he wants to shower grace into your life. I, I want to bless you. I want to help you be all that you are meant to be under my name. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to rescue you from destructive selfishness. That's the kind of jealous God that I want. I mean, come on. No one likes being around selfish people. But humble people who use their gifts for good, we love to see that. Because that's what our God does. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And let me just say this. As a church, we don't want to be a proud church. You know, if we, if we start to experience, you know, like numbers flying, we're, we're doing like four services on the weekend. I, I do not want us, when that happens, to be like, yes, look at us, because we're destiny. Woo, say our name. Because the minute we do that, this text says not only will God stop blessing us, but he will also walk around to the other side and oppose us. Woo, he will not work on our behalf. How can he bless people who speak his name but are really trying to promote themselves? He can't bless that. He can't unleash any power to that. So not only will he not bless it, he's going to oppose it. Who wants to build a church that God opposes? You know, hey, we got a wonderful church here. God is opposing us, but we're really going to use grit and determination to see what we can get done. <laughs> Whew, no one wants to be a part of a church like that. But if we come in humble and say, God, we need you to move. We need you, Holy Spirit, to breathe on us. Man, his grace rushes in and his grace is powerful. He can forgive anybody. He can redeem anybody. He can use anybody, even a broken person like me. So I remember when I first started speaking in youth ministry, speaking can be a fairly insecure thing to do especially with teenagers, right, Ryan? <laughs> so you're standing up, you're talking, and you can see everybody's face. You know, I can, you can tell who's, who's, who's totally with me, and you can tell who's totally not, right? And, and so I, I can see it. And let me tell you something. When you're young, especially, you know, that's a bit of a rattling position to be in. And uh, so I remember for me, when I would begin to write messages early on, I would have an enormous amount of anxiety. And I mean, pacing, having trouble to, you know, getting the words out. And I, I just had all this incredible emotional energy around giving a message. I was driving myself nuts. And I would try to deliver with the right energy and get all the words out just right. And I got to get the story just right. And I got to get everything just right. And, and then one day I was like, I, I'm not even having any fun. I think God built me to preach, but this just, just doesn't feel right. And so I finally asked Holy Spirit, I'm like, you know, let's analyze this. Why am I, what am I so anxious about? And then I asked myself, am I anxious about, you know, that God won't get the glory? Is that my fear? I'm, I'm just so worried that you won't be glorified tonight. Like, you know, if I don't present your word exactly right, if I don't make my points rhyme, that they won't believe in the Bible. And that they won't follow Jesus and it'll be my fault because I didn't make it creative enough. Was I, was I worried that God would be glorified? No, God gets the glory. He, he spoke through a donkey in the Old Testament. He can use anybody. He can use me. It's not, a, it's not an issue of God's glory. 
And that's when I realized that my worry was not about whether or not God received the glory. It was all about how I looked and how I felt. What I was nervous about was I wanted these kids to like me. I, I, I wanted them to think I was funny. I wanted them to think I was cool. I wanted them to think I was wise. I wanted to be profound. I was worried about myself. And I realized that selfish ambition was tearing me apart on the inside. My problem was personal and it was theological. That was what got me. And I realized that really what my job is when I present a message to you, a picture of what I do, is I'm just trying to shine a spotlight on Jesus. That's what I'm trying to do. And, and, and so the point of any word that I give is to point you to Jesus. He's the banner over everything, right? And, I, and I, I just got this picture of Jesus in the spotlight that I've carried with me for all these years. And what I was trying to do is just maybe dip my head in that spotlight just a little bit and try to sneak in a little bit and be like, hey, try to get some attention on me. And I thought that's so ridiculous. And it is. That's not the point of a message to give you more of me. <laughs> No one woke up today in the middle of your struggles, in the middle of your challenges, you know, asking the questions, is my life going to go where I want it to go? You know, am I going to be in this relationship that I, I want to be in? Is God going to accomplish his purpose in my life? And then you thought, I just need more of Sean Shop. I, I just need a witty line from him. I need something to rhyme. None of you thought that. You don't need me. You need Jesus. <laughs> And let me tell you something, no one in your office, okay, let's get personal a little bit. Nobody in your office was like, I just need more of you, Jeffrey. <laughs> no one needs more of you, but God has given you gifts. And when you use them, you feel a sense of purpose. God is using me and you can use it to build a common good and harvest of righteousness is grown in peace by those who sow in peace. So you can do something amazing, but you don't, need selfish ambition to do it. You need a holy ambition that I want God to use my gifts to bless others. I, I had to acknowledge, I had to acknowledge, you know what, God? I'm an adulterous person. I was trying to use your stage for my glory. And that's not what the stage is for. And I need to go a different direction. Do you know what's great about that? We are meant to talk to him that way. Yes. And he loves it when we talk to him that way. Because the minute we do, what happens? Grace comes rushing in. Confession doesn't lead to destruction. <laughs> it leads to redemption. It leads to him writing a new story. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So James goes on to say, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That's the remedy. So just, just come to him and say, hey, I'm done trying to build my kingdom. I'm submitting to your kingdom. And it's interesting, verse 7 to 10, he says, submit yourselves to God. And then he says, humble yourselves before the Lord. It's the same idea. And everything in the middle of that, that's kind of the gold of the scripture today, the, the kind of the, the nuggets, everything in the middle of those two verses, he's kind of telling you how to do it. How do, you, how do you submit yourself to God? How do you humble yourself to God? Submit yourself to the Lord. Humble yourself before him. Hey, God, I'm yours. Just be honest with him. You don't have to try to fix yourself. Just be honest about how you're broken. That's what he says here. Submit yourself, uh, yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So don't believe everything that you think, right? If you feel an intense emotional um, energy of jealousy and rivalry against someone, your mind is just going to feel with all the reasons why they're horrible, right? 
Begin to question that. Where is this emotional energy coming from? Well, they said something that hurt my feelings. So what does the word of God say about how to remedy that? That I come to them humbly, that I seek to reconcile. What's my goal in the conversation? If my goal is to reconcile, I have a Christian goal. If my goal is to destroy them, it's something else. And the thing is, you've got some selfishness in you. Confront that. God, that's my problem. I've, I've got to change that, and I don't, I don't want to live that out. That's a destructive way to live. I want a holy way to live. So I'm going to resist thinking that. I'm, I'm going to resist thoughts of revenge. I'm going to resist thoughts of vengeance. I'm not going to act like that. He says, when you resist the devil, what? He will flee from you. The one with you is way more powerful than that. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Come on, Royce. He's not far from you. And then he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He uses, listen to here, he uses priestly imagery. The priests used to have to wash their hands before they would go in to lead in the temple. And it was supposed to be a physical picture of them cleansing their hearts. And what I love about that is in the Old Testament, nobody walked into the church with the assumption that I'm already pure and perfect. The priests themselves had to come in and wash their hands, and it was a symbol. I'm in need of cleansing. I'm a mess. No one's supposed to walk in here acting like they've got it all together. That's the weirdest Christian mentality. Do you understand that? I've got to act like I got it all together because I'm going to church. No, this is a place where you admit that you don't. And we come to a God who likes to purify dirty people. You come to a father who likes to heal broken people. You come to a God who restores. Come on. We keep reading and James says, uh, not a particularly upbeat verse. He says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Woohoo! I don't hear any whoops for that one. You won't see that one on a coffee mug. But his point here, listen, his point here is using prophetic imagery. The prophets in the Old Testament used to tell people that when you see sin in your life, it's good to take stock. I don't know why I act like that. I don't want to be that way. And when I confess that and weep over it, what happens? God comes rushing in with grace. And so some of you have insecurity from some wounds, maybe even from your parents, and it's come out and you've been very insecure, maybe even with us, and you've assumed motives about people in this room that they don't have. And you've said some cruel things based on some assumptions about their motives that you don't even know. And so you've been a divider and not a uniter. We've done that. And so what we've got to do is say, hey, you know what? I got to weep over that because that's a brokenness in me. And that's sad. Yeah. But the good news is you're not too far gone. He gives more grace. And so he says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. I love that. He will lift you up. He really will. And I remember... (laughs) When, worship team, you can come on up. We're about ready to close. I remember when I graduated from, from Bible school and I, and I kind, of, kind of left feeling like I could take on the world because, you know, you know, when you graduate, like you're a genius, right? You got the diploma. I mean, you, you know what everything, right? And so we trick ourselves into believing that when we get handed that piece of paper. And I went to take over a youth ministry where I had like four kids and seven, uh, six adults. 
And, you know, after a couple of months, um, Deanna and I had grown it to three kids and no adults. <laughs> and I remember I was so mad because I was like, God, I learned all this stuff. And now this, and I remember sitting there and I felt like the Lord pressed on my heart. <laughs> Sean, do you love me? I was like, yes, Lord, I, you know that I love you. <laughs> remember this from anywhere? (laughs) He said, then feed my sheep. The three sheep. Feed my sheep. And what I realized was happening in my heart is I didn't want to love those kids. I wanted to use them. And I resented them because they weren't 30 or 40 kids. And that's dangerous. Too many people have been hurt in leadership positions who have wanted to use people. And so for me, I realized I'm trying to use this ministry to fill a vacancy for me. And that's adulterous. That's evil. And when I took that to God, he changed my heart. And do you know what? The craziest thing was that I joyfully served as a nobody with those kids. And I loved it. I, some of my favorite days in ministry were getting to walk with those middle school and high school kids. And it grew eventually. (laughs) And then do you know what happened? Years later, somebody called me about a regional event. I started speaking and leading worship at several different events. And eventually I was called uh, by the National Next Gen Ministry Leader and I was invited onto the national team. I I designed our our denomination's first uh, Next Gen Ministry website and I served our district's 150 churches and, and Next Gen Ministries along with I don't know, 15, 16 regional summer camps for about 10 years. And I remember when I got the phone call to take that position, I started crying because I went back to the thought of myself wanting a big platform for all the wrong reasons. And thank God he kept that kid off of that stage. But when I was able to humble myself, what happens? He exalted me. And I remember crying because I realized I don't even care that I'm in the spotlight. All I care about is I want to leverage the platform moments to give you glory. Humble yourself and in due time, God will exalt you. And here's the good news. I love it when James says, don't judge your brother (laughs) in verses 11 and one another, right? Let's not be a church like that. And he says, who has the right to judge? It's he, uh, uh, it's he who can save and destroy. Jesus is Lord over this earth. And when he says it's done, it's done, right? But when he came to save and rescue the lost, he came to do, he had all the authority of heaven and he stripped off every inconvenience to serve us. And he what? He humbled himself. You hear that this morning? He humbled himself to serve you and me. And he humbled himself, scripture says, to the point of death, even on a cross. Therefore, what happened? God exalted him to the highest place. That's the king that we follow. Let me close by saying this. It would be weird to follow a humble king with arrogance. That would be weird. It's weird to follow a king who would humble himself to death but then demand that my name be made great. 
that's not where our king is going. He humbled himself so that he could live the perfect life that you could not, so he could die the death that you deserve. And God exalts him for that. And listen, this is where this wraps up this morning. God is gonna use you. God is gonna use your gifts. He's gonna use your life. He's not gonna waste it. Your hopes and your dreams are not going to waste. He's gonna guide you on his path and build his kingdom that lasts forever. Your little kingdom will fade and it will, it will not be sufficient to change anybody. His kingdom goes on forever and you can change the world. When you onboard with him, you humble yourself in the right time, he will exalt you. You did it with Christ, he will do it with you. It's all for his great plan and his purpose on this earth. And we get to be a part of it. Amen. Would you just put your hands out as we close? God, we humble ourselves this morning. (laughs) We can come in loud and proud sometimes. But Lord, we need your grace. And so we just admit this morning, we confess. We confess that we've wanted the spotlight. Sometimes we've wanted to make things about us. And sometimes what we've done is we've been dividers because of it. We've used our voice to be angry, to be loud, to point our finger at others, to say it's their fault. Lord, when you've asked us to humble ourselves, to submit ourselves to your way, and then when we do that, you will exalt us. And it's not for our glory, it's, it's for your glory. When you exalt us and you're in us, guess what happens? We know that you're gonna be exalted. So God, we thank you for that this morning. We lean into you. Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed this morning, I wanna give the opportunity. If you're listening this morning, whether online or in this room, And you know Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning to lean into the person of Jesus. Maybe it's a re-surrender of your heart or maybe it's coming to him for the first time. He is, as a four square um, key scripture for us is he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's a rescuer. He came to this earth and he did all of those things that we're talking about. He humbled himself so that God would exalt him and guess what? He's a, he's a resurrected king who loves to resurrect you. He came to resurrect you, to pull you out and to rescue you. And so with all the saints praying this morning, all the believers, we just, we just wanna invite you to a place to follow Jesus. And with nobody looking around, I would just ask, and just this private moment between you and God, would you just raise your hand and let us know that you would like to pray that prayer this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So here's what I want to do. We're going to pray a prayer. And it's, it's not the words that I say right now. There's nothing magical about them. We're going to pray a prayer, and I want you to put some words to it. I want you to put your heart to it is what I want you to do. And, 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 and what this is is just the beginning of a life to follow Jesus, to say my life is turned in a different direction. I want what you have for me this morning. Can we all pray this together? Father God, we love you. 
and I want to give my life to you. Thank you for all that you've done. You came and gave your life for me. You're a personal God. You came to resurrect me, to give me new life, to give me new purpose. Thank you, Jesus. I want to give my life to you, and I want to follow you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.